0: Hello, and welcome to the James Sheets Podcast. This podcast features the sermons and preaching messages of James Sheets, who pastored throughout West Virginia for many years. If you like what you hear, please subscribe and leave a five-star review, and share a memory of James with us. Let's listen as Pastor James Sheets begins his message.
1: Turn with me to continue in First John again this morning. This will be the fifth message that I have preached from 1 John, beginning at the very first part of chapter 1. We're now down at verse 6 of chapter 2, and there will be a few more messages from this gospel. 1 John, chapter 2, beginning at verse 6. He that saith he abideth in him ought himself also to walk even as he walked. Brethren, I write no new commandment unto you but an old commandment, which we had from the beginning. The old commandment is the word which ye have heard from the beginning. Again, a new commandment I write unto you, which things is true in him and in you, because the darkness is past, and the true light now shineth. He that saith he is in the light, and hateth his brother, is in darkness even until now. He that loveth his brother abideth in the light, and there is none occasion of stumbling in him. But he that hateth his brother is in darkness, and walketh in darkness, and knoweth not whither he goeth because That darkness hath blinded his eyes. Entitled the message this morning, The Imitation of Christ. Deliberately gave it that title, and you'll see why I hope before the message is over. But in the preceding messages that I preached from this particular book, we have made note of the fact that John is telling us that he received a message from Jesus Christ himself, that he was to impart to the Word. And the message was very simple, God is light, and in him there is no darkness. He goes on to tell us, therefore, that those who say they walk after the Lord, they'll walk in the view of this life say that they have fellowship with God, fellowship with Christ, but do not live their lives in a manner that would stand the shining of this light from God upon them are lives. He tells us that there are three evidences of salvation, that we're going to deal with the third one this morning to some degree. How do you know that you're saved? We talked about the fact that he told us that one of the evidences of salvation is that we have renounced sin. Secondly, he told us another evidence of salvation is that we have become obedient to God. And the third one that we want to deal with this morning, and it's tied in the title, The Imitation of Christ, but goes more definitely to this thing of love. If we love our Christian brother, we have an evidence that we are saved. Now, we all are aware of imitators. You know, monkey see, monkey do. And uh, Our kids are that way. Our kids follow our steps. I heard a story, and it may only be a story, but it makes a point of a drunk who came staggering home on Saturday night through the snow, left his footprints in the snow, The next morning, he looked out the window and saw his little boy trying to step in those awkward footprints. And the father yelled out to the boy, what are you trying to do? And he said, Dad, I'm trying to walk in your steps. And it made such a point with that man that he never drank another drop. But whether we're talking about alcohol or some other pattern in our lives we can be absolutely certain that there is no way that we as a father or a mother can ridicule and criticize our children who simply are imitating that which they have seen us do it does not follow that we can punish nor ridicule, nor in any way discourage our children who are doing nothing more than trying to follow the image that we have established. We will have to accept those actions on the part of our children who are doing nothing more than trying to follow us. But this principle carries over to us as Christian people in our imitation and walking in the steps of our Lord. This is expected. It is a natural process that a child wants to imitate mom and dad. And it certainly is a natural process that we as Christian people would want to walk in the steps of our Lord. Over in the 13th chapter of the Gospel of John, if you would like to turn back there with me, I think we see a very important passage of Scripture in the 13th chapter of the Gospel of John. At the 13th verse, we find the words of our Lord when he says, Ye call me Master and Lord, and ye say, Well, for so I am, if I then your, master, your Lord and Master have washed your feet, ye also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that ye should do as I have done to you. Now, the Lord is not setting up an ordinance of foot washing. He is not saying that you ought to establish a part of your worship to be that of washing one another's feet. He is saying that I am your servant and have come to serve you and therefore you are also to serve your brother. Even to do the menial tasks of washing the feet. I have given you an example, he said. An example that you should do as I have done. We should imitate Jesus Christ in our daily walk. In our daily life. What we do ought to be done simply because we're stepping in the footprints of our Lord who has already done that very same thing. It is expected, therefore, that we... Imitate Christ is expected by the Lord, who said, follow me. It is expected by the church. I think sometimes we downplay the responsibility of a church member. And do not point out that when one takes the position of being a follower of Jesus Christ, which is acknowledged publicly by his membership of other things in the church, that there is an expectation. There certainly is an expectation that a Christian be a, an attender in church. Certainly it is expected that a Christian give from his financial means, regardless of how large or how small that might be, but in proportion to the blessing that he has received. But more importantly, I think it is expected by the church that its membership walk in the steps of the Lord, that we follow him. But fourthly, this same expectation is made by the world. The world expects a Christian to look and act and be like Christ. Now, don't fool yourself. The laws of this world already have an image in their mind as to what a Christian ought to be. And they will hold you and me responsible for walking according to their image. And it means acting and being and doing like they conceived Christ to have been and to have done while he was upon earth. To walk as Jesus walked becomes the charge to to every Christian person. Now look at the 7th and 8th verses here for a moment. He said, brethren, I write no new commandment to you, but an old commandment. There's nothing new about what I'm writing. An old commandment which you have had from the beginning The old commandment is the word which he had heard from the beginning, yet a new commandment I write unto you, which thing is true in him and in you, because the darkness is past and true light now shineth. Back in the Deuteronomy, there is a commandment about love. Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 5, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God, all thy heart, with all thy soul, and with all thy might. And if you would go to Leviticus chapter 19, verse 18, there is a passage of Scripture that says, Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. Now it's interesting that there has been a commandment, even from the beginnings of the law, directing that The followers of God be people who love. This isn't something that has happened in 20th century time, but God has always expected that his followers be people of love. Now go to Matthew chapter 22 and verse 36. I want you to notice something. The uh, Pharisees were coming to Jesus with a question, and they are intending to tempt him into making a mistake. But in verse 36 of chapter 22, they say, Master, which is the great commandment in the law? Which is the greatest one of all? That's what they're asking. Jesus said unto them, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, with all thy mind. This is the first and great commandment. But they didn't ask for what he gave them next. (laughs) He goes right on with his comments and says, And the second is like unto it, Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. On these two commandments hang all the laws and the prophets. Let me tell you, if you comply with law number one and law number two, you're not going to have to worry about the rest of them. <clears throat> When we love God with all our heart and each other with all our heart, we have complied with the expectations of God. We're walking into his footprints at that point because this is God. Jesus taught us to love the less fortunate, to love our enemies. He taught us all that. Now, if you will, Back in 1st John again, go over to chapter 3. And John concludes, or continues perhaps I should say, with this idea of love when he says this is the message that you heard from the beginning, verse 11 of chapter 3, 1st John, that ye should love one another. This is the message that you heard from the beginning that you should love one another, not as Cain, who was uh, that wicked one, and slew his brother. Verse 13. Marvel not, my brethren, if the world hates you. Don't be surprised if the world hates you. Verse 14. We know that we have passed from death unto life because we love the brethren. There's how you know you're saved. Point number three. Do you love your Christian brother and sister? There's evidence of salvation. Some of them might say, well, that's a pretty tough one to do because there's some people I have a hard time loving. I'll admit that's pretty hard if we mix up Our love for them as a person as opposed to our love for that which they do. We don't have to love what everybody does. But let me tell you, that person who is a sinner, that person who is having difficulties, that person who is a problem, the Christian must reach out and encompass them in their arms and love them. We don't love condition; We love unconditionally. We accept on face value what a person does as a problem that he has, but we love him, we love her. Why? Because Jesus did likewise. The men were ready to stone the prostitute who had been found in the very act of adultery because that's what the law said. How many times are we ready to do something similar because somebody has committed an act contrary to what we conceive a Christian ought to do? We do not want to love the act, but we must love the actor. We cannot condone the sin, but we must support and uphold and love to the absolute last degree the sinner. Why must we do it? Because we're putting our feet in the steps of Jesus. That's what he did. That's what we must do. I hope this congregation is a congregation that loves. I think I've seen lots and lots of evidence of that. I think those of you who don't know us well, who are visitors with us, might be surprised if you look a little bit to see how many people hug each other during the course of a morning. But that's easy to do here in this congregation. Sometimes it's not quite so easy to do outside the doors of the church. There's where our real callers show. Do we love in deed or in show? Do we love in word or in action? All of us are sinners. All of us. We must come before the Lord and confess our sins. Sometimes we'll have to do it with tears, remorse. But I tell you one thing. When anybody with a sin comes to the Lord, he gets a hug. He gets a hug. Anybody. Yeah who comes before a congregation of this nature with sin should certainly get a hug in return. A kind word, sympathy, support, encouragement, financial support, food, clothing, a kind word. Because we're putting our feet in the steps where Jesus walked. Let us pray. Lord, there's a congregation here in this building of some 80 people this morning. We come from every possible background, with every possible problem, sin, discouragement, unhappiness, burden, that could possibly be conceived, because we're sinners. But Lord, most of us are sinners saved by your grace. We can come to you knowing that you will not turn us away. It is our desire, Lord, that we come to you this morning and pour out our hearts to you, perhaps even to each other. Confess that we have failed, confess that we're sinners, confess that we're not what we ought to be, and ask for forgiveness. Lord, as people do that right now, may they feel your warm arm around them. You'll never discourage, but you will always encourage. You will say to us, your sins are forgiven. Go and don't do it again. <clears throat> Lord, may we as your followers who imitate you, a poor imitation we confess, but we're trying to put our feet in your footprints. And by that we mean we're trying to live like you lived, We're trying to be what you were, say what you said, to act as you act. Help us, Lord, to overcome our frailties. May we reach out to those who are hurt today, to those who are ill, who need encouragement, who are discouraged in every way, who are carrying burdens. Maybe we don't even know what they are, but a good handshake, a hug, a kind word will bless their life. We're looking this morning for something good from you. You will provide it. Help us to receive. If there is a soul in this congregation who's not saved right now, we most especially pray for them. We ask, Lord, that your spirit deal with them and cause them to be willing and desirous i asking you to forgive their sins and then they step out on faith to start living for you so that they can experience this warmth of love that we share with you. May this hour be a time of uplifting for every soul and a new beginning for some whose name we pray. Bye. Number 405 is our invitation hymn. I want you to stand together as we sing. If you want to spend time up here at the altar, you come on. If you want to come up and say something to me, a rededication perhaps, come on. If you want to accept the Lord Jesus as your Savior, particularly, we invite you to come. Will you
0: all come as we sing?